Good evening, hushlings, and welcome. I present your preceptors to the underbelly of the void, the whispers of conjecture, and the known of the unknown. Thus begins the conclave of the Hush Hush Society. A wandering band of members of a so-called religious cult with a leader they call Jesus has had three of its followers arrested in the investigation of the murder of Sharon Tate and six others. Those arrested are two women and one man, and the Los Angeles police said they would ask murder indictments against several others. Five women are being held as material witnesses. Greetings, Hushlings. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Where we journey into the world of conspiratorial mysteries and dark truths. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And as always, we're joined by our favorite family member, Slick Frank Sanders. Hey, big happy family. How we doing? Hey, bring it in. Let's all have a family guy. Vin Diesel moment. (laughs) I got family. (laughs) That's all I could do. Every time I typed family, the entire process of this, all I saw was Vin Diesel. Really? Yeah, in my head. Anytime somebody calls me a crazy conspiracy theorist, I say, it's okay. I got family. (laughs) In today's debriefing, we'll be taking a trip back to the 60s to uncover the story behind the Manson family murders. How exactly did Charles Manson amass his cult following to coerce them into doing whatever it was that he desired? But before we drop some acid and become little cat burglars, be sure to follow us on all our social medias. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. As always, you can come on over to our Twitch and our Discord channel. Discord is super fun. We're watching X-Files every Sunday. Watch parties. Come on to the Discord. 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And also... For everything else, Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour, visit the official website, hushhushsociety.com. Yes, head on over to our official website. You can find all of our episodes, read through some more conspiracies in our blog section. You can purchase merchandise, be on the lookout for some new stuff soon. You can also leave a rating or review, which you can also do on Apple, Google, Spotify, Podchaser, etc., wherever the hell you listen to podcasts. But tell us we're awesome. Give us five stars. Make us feel good about ourselves. Your comments are greatly appreciated and it helps us give you a better listening experience. If you wanted to take a step further to support the show that much more beyond leaving a rating or review, you can check out our Patreon. That's right, we have a ton of exclusive content available over on Patreon. We've got tons of exclusive debriefings at this point. We've got exclusive segments such as The Frong Factor, which is conspiratorial news with myself and Declassified Dave, as well as cryptid erotica readings by Mystery Mike. They get pretty hot and steamy. Keep a lookout for the Patreon. You can join today at www.patreon.com slash hushhushsociety. And one last thing before we get going, welcome Hushlings to another wonderful Hushtober. Spooky times. Spooky times. Spooky times. And for the new listeners and new watchers out there, welcome. This is your first Hushtober. 
gets a little creepy. We've got some great things. Yeah, we've got some great things scheduled for every time we do Hushtober. I think it's always been spooky as shit. Yeah. It's a highlight of the year, really. Yeah, it's true. We get we get festive. We get festive. We do. I think we should, we're definitely going to wear full costumes towards the end of the month. New disguises. <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. I'm doing it. The listeners won't know, but I could also recreate a awful Halloween costume that was given to me as a child. <laughs> the nameless photo. Do the it. nameless photo. The photo of which we don't speak. <laughs> Hushlings, I'm sure you've heard of the infamous Charles Manson along with the Manson family. But you might be asking yourself, how? Did Manson become the monster we've all come to know? Can we just chalk it up to a rough start in life? You decide. Let us know. Charles Manson was born to a 16-year-old girl and a father that he would never come to know. His mother was imprisoned for armed robbery, which would cause him to spend a good chunk of his childhood living with his aunt and uncle in West Virginia. Mountain Mama. Did they throw him in the mines? West Virginia. That's a crazy childhood, though. Yeah, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Like, your mom's a badass robbery person. Badass robbery person. (laughs) Damn, I want to be just like mom. She's a cat burglar. Shortly after making this move away from home, Manson took up the hobby of crime for a lack of better words. Starting just at the age of nine, he began his journey of being instituted into a slew of juvenile correctional systems for crimes that included petty larceny, armed robbery, auto theft, and burglary. Eventually, Manson was sent to the Indiana Boys School, a very strict reform school. Manson claims that he was raped, bullied, beaten there on multiple occasions. It seems to have been kind of traumatic. He tried to escape the facility 18 whole times and after a number of attempts he finally escaped with two other boys in february of 1951 wow 18 times he tried to get out that's wild yeah the three of them stole a car and started to make their way to california they made a pit stop in utah to rob a gas station where they were caught and arrested manson would be sent to washington dc's national training school for boys but this time was a bit different Bum, bum, bum. They're like, they're like, look at the scenery, this beautiful place. Let's go rob a fucking gas station. <laughs> <laughs> well, they can't afford the gas. Yeah, we're not, we're not going to make it to California. I think we should stop at a gas station and fuel up. I don't know if they were robbing it for gas or money, but they robbed it. Probably money. Probably money and snacks, you know. Money to buy gas. I mean, can you imagine them trying to do that in this fucking economy? Holy crap. Good luck. They wouldn't even get out of Indiana. Upon arrival, he was given aptitude tests, and the results said that he was illiterate, but he had an above-average IQ of 109. Per the psychiatrist's recommendation, he was moved to Natural Bridge Honor Camp, a minimum security prison. Is 109 an above-average IQ? What is an average IQ? I'll Pull check. that shit up, Jamie. The average IQ in the United States is 98. What? All right. Jesus. How high above average? Like, is that leaps and bounds smart or? 98 to 109. Well, how much is every point? How does that equate in terms of actual intelligence? I couldn't tell you. According to 
the Welsher Adult Intelligence Scale, the average IQ score in the United States is between 90 and 109. All right, so he's on the high scale of average. Yeah, he's on the high scale of average. But, I mean, maybe in the 50s, maybe it was different. Would you say people were dumber in the 50s? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, less educated, probably. Maybe a different education system altogether. Shit. Yeah, especially in Indiana. All history is just made up anyways. Yeah. It's all lies. Somehow his aunt managed to bail him out, but very shortly after, in 1952, he raped a boy at knife point, landing him back in prison for a three-year bid in Ohio. Just one year after his release, he was pinned again for driving a stolen car across state lines, which got him another three-year sentence, this time in L.A. Picking up on a trend here. That's an extreme jump from petty theft to raping somebody at knife point. That's a jump. Like, let's rob this gas station. Give me that ass. In June of 1966, Manson was sent for the second time to Terminal Island in L.A. By the time of his release day on March 21st of 67, he had spent more than half of his 32 years of life in prisons as well as other institutions. Jesus Christ. Yeah, man. Just in and out, in and out. You know what it's reminiscent of is uh, what's the guys that we talked about, Komisar Jeffsky and... Uh, oh, yeah, from the Pettit family murders. Yeah, they just lived their half their lives incarcerated, especially starting at a young age. I feel like that happens a lot. They just get accustomed to that lifestyle of being in prison and it just gets accepted for them as being normal. Some people, they start to have a hard time with the outside world and they'll go commit a stupid crime just to get back in jail to live a normal life, you know? Yeah, I think we mentioned yeah. that in that episode. Yep, institutionalized. But yeah, like I was saying, he had spent his life in a cycle of sentences, probation, violation, and imprisonment. He even became a pimp at one point. He was briefly married to a sex worker. And this led him to eventually exploring ways that he could achieve Hollywood fame. He strived to be more. Would you really want to be more than a pimp, though? Come on. Dude, That's like the highlight right there. Hollywood pimping. Maybe he wanted to be a Hollywood pimp. In this search for Hollywood fame, he took guitar lessons. And according to one producer who later attempted to work with him, he was a, quote, unmitigated disaster. During his time in prison, he also became borderline obsessed with the Beatles. He had hoped to become a singer and songwriter and attempted to gain connections to the film studios and of Hollywood insiders. Now, Mike, you remember when we went to Museum of Death? Yes. Okay. I went a couple years later. It's now moved, not on Hollywood Boulevard anymore. But I bought, the second time I went, the record Lie, Love and Terror Cult, the record, one of his records. And it's creepy, man. It's, it's not bad music, but it's creepy as fuck. I've heard he was good. Meanwhile, Manson went on to study religion as a tool of control and manipulation. Sounds like every other priest. Especially Scientology, along with social engineering. He went as far as to seek advice from other lifelong criminals, including pimps, who taught him techniques for successfully coercing and breaking down the psyche of women. Hmm, which would later become very useful, I guess. A key tool of his. A key tool. 
Well, I guess that makes sense as to why some people believe that he was a CIA operative because he was so good at these psychological tactics. Well, it, it panned out to be very successful for him. These these tactics that you're talking about that the CIA practiced for decades and decades and decades with some success here and there. Definitely not a hundred percent success rate, which Manson had. Manson had a one hundred percent success rate, in my opinion. Good for him. Later in the year of nineteen sixty seven, Charles Manson moved to San Francisco, the center of the era's counterculture revolution. The post prison world he walked into was an entirely new one, entirely unfamiliar to him, filled with hippies who openly rejected social norms and formed lifestyles free of restriction. Yeah, man. Hippies, free love, man. Yeah, man. Free love. <laughs> Speaking of love, it wasn't long until Manson met 23 year old Mary Brunner, and they went on to have a child together named Valentine. The two lived together in an apartment in San Francisco, and Manson mostly got by by begging and stealing, and he managed to convince several other women that were living the peace and love man lifestyle to move in with them. F fuck, this dude was just swinging. Can you imagine like learning those types of tactics? I definitely have some thoughts about stuff that he could have learned from times of him being institutionalized that were kind of part of the MK Ultra thing that we're going to mention later. So him being that good at that stuff on top of fucking taking acid and LSD. Well, what's interesting about this point in time is that he doesn't really have anything to offer, but still mm. he's convincing these strangers, dozens of them at a time, to come and live with him and he's just making this like weirdly strange large impact on their lives even though he really has nothing to offer them but his words i've heard through many documentaries and interviews that he was extremely charismatic that goes a long way especially when you don't have anything to offer that kind of makes people perceive you in a way that you are not just that little extra confidence or that little extra pizzazz to your character or to your personality that goes a very long way in trying to convince people to do things for you or to take advantage of people which is what he mm. did you also got to remember that he has spent up until this point his entire life in institutions surrounded by criminals who use the same mental tactics so now he is going through his entire life and essentially going to school for being a shitbag prison is school for shitbags i like it <laughs> practice makes perfect <laughs> in the early stages of the family it was mostly comprised of females. Manson allegedly had 18 women living with him and Mary in their apartment. Jesus, 18. By the time he met the Beach Boys drummer, Dennis Wilson. So 18 women plus him plus Mary. So 20 people in an apartment. One apartment, 20 hippies. They were still in the apartment in San Francisco at this time. Still yeah. in the apartment at the time of 20 family members. It's a lot of toilet paper. They probably didn't use any, man. They were hippies. While driving home, Wilson picked up two hitchhikers, none other than Manson followers, Patricia Krenwinkel 
Love that name. Krenvinkle? 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 Patricia Krenvinkle. Patricia Krenvinkle? The two women told Wilson about the man, Charlie, that they were living with and how he was a musical guru. I thought he was bad, though. Wasn't he bad? No, he wasn't bad, no. I thought that's what his music teacher said about him. Well, his music teacher was clearly wrong. His music teacher was jealous. His music teacher was an imposter and a fraud. He wanted his slick lick skills, man. You, my sir, are a gentleman and a scholar. Wilson then dropped these two hitchhikers off at his house, thinking he was about to get his sling on. And when he came back... Charles Manson was literally in his house waiting for him. It only took that one night for the, like we said, very charismatic Manson to convince Dennis Wilson that his talent was the real deal and that Dennis should invest in Manson to progress his career. Invest time, invest money, just help him further his music career. Yeah. Do you think he just had a fucking gun on him when he did that? made him yeah it. probably probably he was like you're gonna let me live with you and you're gonna fucking like it for a few months manson lived secluded with his group of women making music in dennis wilson's home at gunpoint and preaching <laughs> his gospel maybe not at gunpoint i don't fucking know they dropped acid frequently and the women in the house acted as slaves to wilson and manson doing whatever they asked And even though Manson spoke against materialism strongly, the group lived a rather lavish lifestyle. You know, caviar, Cristal. Mad LSD. Mad LSD. A ton of LSD. The best LSD that money could buy. From the CIA directly. Could be. They had the largest supply. They had that orange sunshine, baby. They had that orange sunshine. Did you watch that documentary? Orange Sunshine? Yeah. No. It's really good. I just heard it's good acid. It it was supposedly the best acid ever created. It's the really? best ass ever created. Yeah. The doc is just about the acid? Well, it's about the two guys that created the acid and then how they pretty much used it to the hippie movement. So the Orange Sunshine was not only one of the very first acids, but it was one of the very first very well-done acids. Okay. So pretty much during the hippie movement, the counterculture was getting what's called brown acid, which Mm. is not very good acid. That doesn't sound appealing. Yeah, and that's what they were used to. And then Orange Sunshine was created, and it created this massive wave of LSD users. And there was, like, the whole plan to drop, like, a million tabs of Orange Sunshine into the water supply of a town. And That's awesome. The, the documentary is pretty wild. That's what they did with fluoride. Yeah, why not do it with LSD? You gotta do a fluoride episode. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I've been saying I'm, I'm ready. As his followers worshipped him under the influence of LSD, Manson would speak of himself as a Christ-like figure. He kind of looks like him, too. And called himself Charles Willis Manson. It's very prestigious. Which, when spoken slowly, sounded like Charles Will is man's son. Ooh. Imagine him 
looking you in your eyes. You're peeking on LSD, and he's just saying it over and over and over and over for hours. That sounds like a fucking nightmare. <laughs> nightmare, nightmare, nightmare. Charles Willis, man's son. Charles Willis, man's son. That's probably how it was done, too. Yeah, probably. And his face is just doing, like, that filter thing back and forth, like, yanging and yanging. Things are getting wonky, boys. Well, unfortunately, all good things and good times must come to an end, and inevitably tensions grew between Wilson and Manson. The drummer tried to incorporate Manson's music into his band, The Beach Boys, but Manson wasn't too keen on the approach taken, and he even eventually pulled a knife on producer Terry Meckler, who would refuse to sign a contract with him. Well, Wilson was done tripping and decided he had enough of the Manson family and asked them to get fucking lost. In 1968, the family settled at Span Ranch, a former movie set owned by milk entrepreneur George Span in exchange for manual labor and sexual favors by the Manson's girls, George Spann allowed the family to live on the ranch. So this is the second place that they're doing the same thing. It's literally like, it's not literally like, it is a fucking cult. It's a like, cult. At this yeah. point, if it wasn't before, now it's a cult. Yeah, it, like, you got sex slaves, manual labor, cooking, cleaning, and sex and now they kind of have a compound. Yeah, yeah. A compound out in a valley full of dairy farmers. Did you guys see uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yes. No. What a great movie. Around this time, Charles Tex Watson joined up with the family, who under Manson's spell would become his right-hand man. Within the mix of the desert isolation, a fuckwad of LSD, and a god complex... Manson was able to further his hypnotization of his followers, making his influence on them that much more effective. Can you imagine somebody being like Charles and they're both like, what? You got two Chazes. Two Chucks. Two Chucks. <laughs> Maybe that's why they call him Tex. Yeah, they had to give him a nickname. Charles went up to him, grabbed him on the shoulder, said, you know, man, I, I like you, Watson. I like you, but we, we can't call you Charles. There's only room for one Charles. That's my name. <laughs> Charles Willis, man's son. <laughs> Charles in charge of our days and oh our nights. What is that? Dave, you remember that? <laughs> Charles in charge. The family was expanding rapidly, multiplying like rats. Charles felt as though the new ranch wasn't enough to house every one of these rodents, so he spread his followers to two other ranches nearby in the valley. Kind of like rats spread between sewer systems in New York City. Hey, I'm the yellow rat from Pokemon! <laughs> When Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in April of 1968, Manson was terrified that there was an impending race war on the horizon. He claimed that the Beatles also saw this incoming race war and that their White Album was actually speaking to the Manson family directly in order to motivate and lead them. 
What a fucking narcissist. As if he wasn't already. Masturbatory, dude. I haven't actually listened to the album, but I'd be interested to listen to it through and through and just try to pick up on what in that could you even take as the slightest message that the Beatles are trying to get you to incite a race war. Something about mayonnaise being spicy. I don't believe that. I don't buy it for a second. I don't know. Certain mayos are very tangy. That was the acid, man. They began to prepare for the end of the world under Manson's direction. That sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Apple white, dick. Side note, speaking of that, I was at a store a couple weeks ago, and I forgot to tell you guys, but somebody was wearing a denim jacket with a bunch of patches on it, and one of the patches had the Heaven's Gate exit team or something Stop. like that. No, I, I wanted to take a picture of him, but I felt he was staring right at me. So, Dude, you should have talked to him. You should have talked to him. You definitely should have made weird small talk about cults. That's such a missed opportunity. What kind of shoes uh, was he wearing? Nike Decades. No, I'm just kidding. Could you imagine that? Imagine if it's one of the surviving members and you just missed that opportunity. Excuse me, sir. Are those Nike Decades? <laughs> Dave just rips them off of his fucking feet at the grocery store. Dave, I swear, if you run into somebody wearing Nike Decades, you better fucking knock them the fuck out. <laughs> Take their shoes. Well, the end of the world didn't happen, but when the race war didn't start up as well in 1969, Manson decided it was up to his family to get it going. So that's one thing I did find in some research on this is that when they killed everybody in this house, they wanted to make it look like, I guess the black Panthers did it. Mm -hmm. And that would have incited the race war that was to come. Well, let's get into the murders. Let's slash our way through this one. The first of the murders that the family carried out was actually just a squeeze for cash. Always for cash. That's what most of this boils down to, honestly. Yeah. They knew a guy who was a family friend. His name was Gary Hinman, and he had just recently come into a sizable inheritance. Oh, so they were just robbing this fucker blind. In an effort to get some of that cash, Manson ordered his followers, Bobby Busalale, along with Mary Brunner and Susan Atkins, to go to Hinman's house and politely persuade him to turn over the money. <laughs> with a gun in his fucking face. <laughs> Please put the money in the bag. Well, Hinman was understandably uncooperative. So they tied him up and held him hostage in his own home. How's he supposed to get you the money when he's tied up? <laughs> Maybe he had it hidden in a shoebox under the floorboard. I don't know. That's a very good question, though. After leaving Gary tied up in his own home for days and days and days with no progress of ever seeing any of this money, Manson came over with a sword and literally slashed his left ear off. Shortly after, Bosalil murdered Hinman by stabbing him twice in the chest. Hinman's blood was then used to smear political piggy on the wall, along with the Black Panther paw to implicate the Black Panther party with the murder going along with their whole race war agenda. Mm, there it is. Manson does seem like a person who would own a sword. Yeah, right? Anytime that I think of Manson, all I can think of is, have you ever seen a video or met someone who says that they know karate, and then they show you all their karate moves, and it's just really bad? That's how I imagine Manson. It's like, have you ever seen a, a katana before? I have a replica. 
that I bought at the flea market. <laughs> Two days after Henman's body was found, Manson told his family that, quote, now is the time for Helter Skelter. Helter Skelter, Helter Skelter. Manson took that name from a guru, right? Was it Krish- Krishna Venta or something like that? I think he took that from that other person. So it wasn't even something that Manson coined. That's what makes it so interesting is that he was a violent person that was very fucked up in the head and was taking advantage of a movement that was all about love and peace and expanding your consciousness. And that's really the start of yoga and yogis and enlightenment and that whole movement of trying to expand consciousness. And Mm -hmm. he just clawed his way into that counterculture and just destroyed it from the inside out. Rats do that to infrastructure. They claw their way in, destroy it from the inside out. It's impressive how far up the chain he got in Hollywood with partying with people. I mean, realistically, the people that he ended up partying with they were, I mean, at the equivalent, it's like parting with The Rock now. He was dropping LSD with producers of huge record labels. Yeah. And at parties like this, I couldn't even imagine who he was running into smoking joints with. And on his off days, he was breaking into people's homes and cutting their ears off. If he was the, if he was the supplier for all these famous people, then mm. he's friends with everybody, you know? Yeah. Just a friendly drug dealer that lives in the hills. And that combined with being a really charismatic person in itself. I'm sure people didn't see the dark side of him unless he really wanted. (laughs) Until he's stabbing you with the fucking chest. Wasn't it kind of like that with, uh, I forget the serial killer's name. Jeffrey Dahmer? Yeah, yeah, Dahmer. He kind of had that same aptitude. I mean, he wasn't coercing dozens of women to live with him in a nice way that's also characteristic of most serial killers Mm -hmm. it's characteristic of cult leaders it's characteristic of serial killers they share those same personality traits they are outgoing and charismatic and that's how they build up their character to these people these people that are strangers to them and that's how they break down walls of trust and whatnot and then go on to either kill people or make people kill people that's how you get random people that aren't even related to each other to become family members with each other Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. on the night of august 8th 1969 the family members susan atkins charles watson linda casabian and patricia krenwinkel (laughs) (laughs) broke into terry melcher's former home which was then being rented by Hollywood actress Sharon Tate and her husband, Roman Polanski. That fucking pedo. Roman Polanski was a pedophile? Yeah. Oh, then. Yeah. Isn't it weird that going all the way back in the late 60s, probably even earlier, you're looking at, I mean, maybe he wasn't heavily involved in the Hollywood scene, but he was married to Sharon Tate. He had to have been somewhat involved, and then you've got the pedophilia aspect of it happening in Hollywood like back then in the 60s. He's a director. He's a movie director. Oh, I don't know this shit. Yeah, Roman Polanski is a movie director. I thought he was just the poor, sad sap whose wife got demolished. Negativo. Rich man. Very rich, yeah. Tate was eight months pregnant at the time, and she was stabbed 16 times by Atkins. A rope was slung around her neck, and she was hung from the rafters. The other end of the rope was tied around her friend Jay Sebring's neck. He was stabbed and shot to death. 
Atkins wrote the word pig in Tate's blood on the house's front door. Yikes. Abigail Folger was stabbed 28 times. Her boyfriend and friend of Roman Polanski's Wojciech Frykowski was shot twice, bludgeoned 13 times, and stabbed a whopping grand total of 51 times. Holy <laughs> shit. Fucking crazy, yo. That's wild. That's mutilation. And if anybody is wondering, Abigail Folger was the coffee heiress. So Folger's coffee. Really? Yes. Well, to show them how it was done, he brought six of the family members to the home of local supermarket owner Leno LaBianca that following night. There are several different accounts of this murder, so the exact story isn't concrete. Sorry. Manson claims that he approached the home alone and returned later to bring Watson along. When Manson and Watson were in the house, they tied up the LaBianca couple with a lamp cord and put pillowcases over their heads. Manson reassured the family that they would not be hurt in any way and that they were only there to rob them. Very charismatic, even in a home invasion. We just talked about the Pettit murders. That was the same exact thing that they told them. Yep. They said, don't worry, we're only going to rob you and then we're letting you go. We won't hurt you. But I think Manson had other things in mind. I don't think there's any debate that he actually meant what he was saying. Because they made this whole mess of this house the night prior with bloody mutilation and people dying in different rooms. And it was just this whole disaster piece. And he's like, I'm, I'm going to show you how to do it nice and neat. They then collected all of the cash and the rest of the valuable goods. Soon after, Van Hooten and Krenwinkel entered the premises with the instructions from Manson to then kill the couple. Leno LeBianco was stabbed with a bayonet to his throat. The word war was then carved into his chest. His wife, Rosemary, was also stabbed a grand total of 41 times. That's not doing it cleaner <laughs> at all. Yeah, but he also left. He was like, I'm going to show you how it's done. And he just did the money part and left. So he left, but then... He had Van Hooten and Krenwinkel go in and actually do the killings. But my question is, do you think he actually sent that message? Or do you think they just acted alone in that and was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure they were instructed. Yeah, I feel like he walked out of the house like a badass with a grocery bag full of Rolexes and <laughs> fucking get in there. Yeah. That's what he meant by doing it the right way, showing them how it's done. You don't actually do any of the killings. You just have other people do it for you. He might have, like we said before, had some sort of idea in his head how this was going to go. And maybe it was cleaner and neater in his head and it just didn't play out that way. You know, he didn't really play ball. He was just the coach in these scenarios. And once he really got on the field, he kind of dropped the ball. It ended up them mutilating more bodies and stuff like that and really crazy stabbings. They also, on the walls of the living room, wrote death to pigs and rise in Leno's blood. And on the refrigerator door, they misspelled Helter Skelter. It said Helter Skelter and was smeared in blood as well. I mean, they just stabbed somebody 41 times and decided to write the ABCs all over the walls with their blood. They were probably blasted on LSD. Do you imagine living in the surrounding neighborhoods to that area or close by to that area or even just Los Angeles in general and just hearing about that at that time? Just being like, what the 
fuck. Because you got famous people that are getting their houses broken into and getting murdered. And that's pretty much the Hollywood Hills over there. So, And that's close to Laurel Canyon. Mm-hmm. And Laurel Canyon, if anybody is familiar, has a lot of weird stuff going on with it with Hollywood people. And there's a deep history there. I smell an episode. Oh, Laurel Canyon. We could definitely do an entire episode on Laurel Canyon. Is it like a Bohemian Grove sort of thing? Not really. There was a military base up there. It was bought out. I forget who owns it now. What's his name? James Franco? James Franco owns it now? Really? Yeah. Oh, I remember hearing about him buying some huge Mm. something. Yeah. Laurel Canyon has a lot of history to it involving Hollywood elite and stuff like that and military. It was Jared Leto that bought one of those properties, right? And now he's leading a fucking cult. Yeah, yeah. And I think his father was one of the generals or one of one of the officers in the, of that Laurel Canyon military whole thing. Of course. So, yeah. When police investigated the Tate and LaBianca murders in the coming days, they found strange similarities between the two cases. They were soon told all the details about the Hinman murder by Bobby Buslile, who fell asleep at the crime scene and got caught. Yo, people are just getting stabbed to death. And this dude's tripping nuts on their couch and wakes up and everybody's dead. He's like, oh, shit. No, so he actually fell asleep in Hinman's car. So he, like, went outside, got in Hinman's car, and fell asleep. Just zonked out. Eventually, the rest of the family followed suit. Manson was found hiding under a sink on one of his ranches and arrested for car theft. At the time, the officers had no idea that just nights before, he had ordered the gruesome murders of Hollywood elites and innocent citizens. Hmm. <clears throat> It wasn't until Susan Atkins, who was apprehended for the Hinman murder, told her cellmates in prison that she had also stabbed Sharon Tate. In December of 1969, Casabian, Watson, and Krenwinkel were all taken into custody, though Casabian had willingly turned herself in and offered up all of the information on the family's crimes so that she could have some sort of immunity in the trial. Hmm. Like a rat. She actually acted as the prosecution's main witness. Like a rat. Manson, Atkins, Krenwinkel were charged with seven counts of murder and one of conspiracy. Leslie Van Houten was also charged with two counts of murder and one count of conspiracy. On the first day of court, Manson showed up with an X carved in his forehead. And most of the other family members did this as well. So this is this is the pre-swastika. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think the swastika came until, like, the 90s, like right? In prison. There's a lot he could have done with that X on his forehead, and the fact that he chose the swastika really shows some character traits about this man. If he was trying to incite a race war, whether it was him that was doing it or was he being pushed by the CIA, whether he was doing it or not, I mean, that's some white supremacist shit. Mm. Yeah, right? for sure. Like that, yeah. So, yeah, definitely. you know. Eventually, justice was served. On April 19th of 1971, Krenwinkel, Atkins, Van Houten, and Manson were all sentenced to death, although California abolished the death penalty in 1972. So the family now have life sentences and will be left to rot. Good for them. And Manson is dead. 
Manson so. died in 2017 <clears throat> in prison after getting married to someone, I believe. And did you know Manson has three fucking kids and two of them are named Charles? I thought he only had the two. I didn't know he had a third. I'm actually surprised that he doesn't have more. I mean, he might. They might be illegitimate, you know, bastard children. So one thing about the, the cases I was seeing is that a lot of the, like, some of the small portions, like small portions of video that you can get, or just like the audio recordings, and even the pictures, these women that committed these murders were nuts. Like, they were like laughing and rocking back and forth and just acting pretty wild. And they basically, I think, I, I don't know which one said it, but one of them had said, oh, I'd do it again. You know, like they were proud. They were proud of it. Maybe they were even fucking doing drugs during the court. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, we talked about the Museum of Death earlier, and they have a whole Manson-inspired room pretty much. Did you see the family quilt they had made? Yeah, the one that I almost touched. That You were like, hey, Dave, you're up against the Manson quilt. And mm -hmm. I, I was like, oh, fuck. And it's a quilt Jesus. entirely made of swastikas. So these people definitely were a little bit batty. Very much batty. Batty, batty to say the least. Pretty fucked up shit, man. I never really delved into the murders and stuff. I've always been interested in the CIA portions of this guy and his weird artistry and music and all that set jazz. Well, why don't we talk about these CIA parts once we dive into our Reddit section? Yes, we combed through the Reddit. We did many of the Redditing and some of the best Redditing that we came across was by the user Supus Delupus. Supus <laughs> Delupus posted, quote, and this is going to go on for a little bit. It was a hefty Reddit chunk. They posted, quote, I am currently listening to a podcast about MK Ultra, a subject that I am fascinated by and I love learning about. I wonder if he was listening to our episode. I hope so. Huh? huh? Check it out. Check it out. The same goes for Charles Manson. I find both topics fascinating. The book Chaos about the intersection of the two was a dream come true. Being interested in both has caused me to ask a simple question. If we accept the approved narratives about MKUltra and the Manson murders, MKUltra was unable to find success with mind control. But was MKUltra unable to find success with mind control? Yeah, but I would imagine they were pretty successful and yeah. maybe even still are. The quote continues, For example, they tried and they were unable to get someone who didn't want to murder to do so against their will. While Charles Manson was able to bend and warp the minds of the members of the family to do so as he wanted, including killing people that they otherwise wouldn't have really wanted to. That's the whole basis of Helter Skelter and how Bugliosi was able to convict him and keep him in jail until his death, despite him not taking part in either of the Tate or LaBianca murders. So how does an institutionalized ex-con use some acid, sex, and con artistry to successfully achieve the goal of MKUltra in the span of a few years. The user wraps it up by saying, while MKUltra had government backing, funding, basically endless resources and test subjects, and some of the greatest minds working towards the same goal over decades, and weren't able to achieve the same. I've wondered how those narratives are never questioned publicly. Would love to hear anyone's thoughts. Is one narrative true and one not? For example, did MKUltra and Manson both succeed? 
are both complete bullshit, and they claimed Manson could warp and control minds just to be able to lock him up? I don't know what to think. I love thinking about it, and I love hearing others' thoughts. I look forward to the response. As do we. Let's jive a little bit on the CIA connection. I feel like if Manson was a CIA operative, he's a perfect mark for it because he had this upbringing of being able to kind of coerce people and do things. Now, if he was backed by CIA resources and given LSD and given, you know, certain things, money, whatever it may be, to keep continuing to do this experiment, if you want to call it that, then he's perfect for it. He's already trained. The CIA doesn't really need to train him in something that he's learned throughout his entire life. Now put that thought process and that experiment process and span it across a bunch of different subjects, a bunch of different Mansons. Maybe he was the most successful at doing it. Maybe he was the most famous one to do it because of who they went and killed and how it was performed. Who knows if the CIA on the other end of it had other people that were doing the same exact thing, going out and causing chaos and performing murders and doing all these different things, but they were less well known because they weren't killing fucking actresses in the middle of Hollywood. Yeah. Hushlings will return after this short message. Greetings, Hushlings. As we continue our Hushtober celebration, we whip out the garlic and sharpen our wooden spikes as we delve into the dark and bloody world of vampires. We will sift through the history and lore, read stories of sightings of the alleged creature, and even accounts from real-life vampires themselves. We investigate how to spot, even kill them, and reveal why they have become so popular, yet so feared for generations. Join the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour, Monday, October 17th, for Debriefing 59 Vampires, The Lust for Blood. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Okay, so just the arrest before the age of 21, there's something that I read where they mention that this is the reason why he was getting, you know, parole every time and getting out, is that he kept going back in, and while he was in in certain times, especially pre, you know, major adulthood, that he was having these experiments done to him. So could mm-hmm. be possibly trained by the CIA. And on top of it, if the CIA was the number one importer of mostly all the drugs uh, at the time, and, you know, it could be entirely possible, yeah, the narrative is not, they're not just a bunch of psychos. Is there, and to lock him away for the rest of his life, even though he didn't kill anybody, it's just their way of brushing it under the rug that they had this guy under their wing, so to say. But why? Why? Like, why have a guy create havoc and murder these people other than just the fact that the CIA could have been involved in the fact that they wanted to incite a race war as well. That they're the mm. ones that wanted to do it and he was the scapegoat. Kind of like the whole Lee Harvey Oswald and the magic bullet scenario. Yeah, and they could have planted that seed very early. There's a lot of factors with the Charles Manson case that could definitely point to something like the CIA planting this seed in his head 
very early on. He didn't have parents. He didn't have close family. The closest he had was his aunt and uncle who essentially gave up on him. They left him to the system. They just let him do what he did. He ran away. No contact was made after that. So he didn't have family. All he had was the institutions and crime and people that he would commit crime with. Say he was getting experimented on even forcefully while in prison, even not willingly. If he told people who's going to believe him, like he's kind of batshit crazy. He's been in and out of jail his whole life. He raped a kid. Nobody's going to gonna believe you if you're saying, oh, the government's force feeding me psychedelics while I'm in prison. True. Meanwhile, the CIA has endless resources, like we said. They can plant gang members in the prisons. Bring in Manson. Hey, Manson, what do you think about white supremacy? Well, if you don't join up with us, we're going to fuck you up. They plant the white supremacy seed in his head, which snowballs into the race war. They did, Maybe they didn't even have to say race war to him. They just had to give him a little bit of LSD here and there and plant the white supremacy seed and just see where it goes you know that's what those experiments were there might not have even been an end goal of trying to incite a race war they might have just been you know let's do this and this and this and just see what happens didn't they program people in mk ultra by having them wear like headphones and they would just have the same thing looping over and mm -hmm. over and over again for hours and hours yeah. the psychological yep. torture yeah it's an interesting thought. It makes me think that maybe the experiments of physically being able to control someone's mind and actions that they were trying to do with MKUltra didn't span out. So instead of grooming a person or torturing a person to become this mindless slave that goes on a trigger word, they altered their tactics so yeah they still use the substance they still use lsd because it's like you know loosens the inhibitions and all that other jazz but they turned up the psychological part of it and then it just becomes cues it's find a person who is already mentally and psychologically broken then from there just give them little nudges towards what you want so inadvertently getting what you want out of the situation but not coming right out and saying it and that was the thing with mk ultra is doing these experiments they were trying to drive these messages into people's heads over and over and over again and that's hard to do but on the other end of it and many of us do it on a daily basis Think of how easy it is to make someone see something from your point of view if you are connecting to their psyche and connecting emotionally to them to make them think that what you want them to do is what they want to do also. That's a lot easier than trying to break someone mentally who, you know, may or may not have already been broken at the time. Yeah, MKUltra took a lot of patients from mental institutions and hospitals and such, but they also took the average day housewife who was coming in for migraines and tried to break that person down and break their will apart and then rebuild them as something that they wanted. On the other end of it, like I said, you take a person that's already broken, half the work is already done. And that's why a lot of conspiracy theorists a lot of people that don't believe the narrative especially when it comes to school shootings believe that the cia or the government or some sort of entity is behind 
some of these school shootings. And when we talk about false flags, we're not saying, oh, the kids didn't get killed. We're not saying, oh, the shooting never happened. What we're saying is, is that it was planned. It was planned by someone else. And I bring up school shooters, obviously, because that's a very recent topic. And that's something that has been talked about within the community is, is there an outside force that is coming to these kids that are already broken down and someone is nudging them towards doing what they want? Well, they already know the algorithms already know like what you're thinking at this point so you know it, yeah. it's very easy to do that now also with him imagine being him a broken person on top of having a god complex and them being like well we'll just let you out if you manipulate some people try this out without us being here hmm. and having a god complex and being a narcissist like that i'm sure that he was just like gotcha and locking him up until death, you know, yeah. can't talk. And even if he does talk, he's Charles Manson. It's fucking nuts. So who's going to believe you? That's a big part of it. Take away the credibility. Yep. And like Frank had mentioned earlier about institutionalizing someone, it's not that bad of a deal to go to Manson, who has spent half his life in prison, and say, look, We'll provide for you, we'll throw you some drugs, we'll throw you some cash in the meantime of this. But at the end of it all, yeah, you're going to go back to prison. And he's okay with it because he is institutionalized and he does think that's where he belongs. That in itself could also make it easier for him to be the prime target for these things. If you say to someone, yeah, you're going to go and commit these crimes or you're going to get other people to commit these crimes and that will keep you out of prison, but then prosecution comes in and says, yeah, you got these people to commit these crimes, so you're going to prison too. It's really not a loss for him because that's where he feels comfortable. Wild, wild weird thing, man. It's a weird thing. That cult mentality and that, that power that certain people have over other people. Yeah. I'm excited that we're going to talk a lot more culty stuff in our next season. Yes. So pay attention. Pay attention, everyone, in the next couple months. All right, hushlings. Boys. Let's get into our final thoughts when it comes to the Manson family. I know I'm intrigued by this and have been for a long time. So let's let's get our final thoughts on it. Dave, what do you think? For me, yeah, it's really interesting. I want to know more. I know it's super, super deep. And there's a lot. We just kind of scratched the surface. We just we just poked the bayonet just just on the chest a little bit. But I think there's two possibilities for me. One, he was just crazy, and he was a one of those types of people that was able to get a cult together and get them to kill people. A lot of other cult leaders get people to do other things, like Marshall Applewhite getting people to kill themselves because they're jumping on a UFO. Two, he was used as a scapegoat by the CIA to do these things, that their whole program is out in the wild without them, their oversight, like I said. So for me, this is really, really, really interesting shit and i do want to read that book now and i'm very very interested even more so interested i can't really place like a major final thought other than i'm super interested and then those two possibilities manson i think is one of the most prolific cult leaders ever you could look at a lot of different cults and a lot of different movements that they did in a way it's almost easier to convince people to kill themselves than to convince them to kill other people. And I think with Manson's ability to convince people to kill, that just, it takes them to a whole new level. Evil? Yeah, most likely, but definitely fucked up in the head. 
That man was wildly, wildly messed up. As far as the CIA connection, the dots are there for me. The, the puzzle pieces kind of fit. Is there basis to it? Is there evidence to it? I'm not sure. We will obviously look into that. But if there is that slight chance that it happened, yeah, it, it would make a whole lot more sense as to how this all came together. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Wild stuff, man. It leaves you with more questions than answers. Just yeah. kind of scratching the surface. Yeah. Like I know that there was a lot of... they had. The, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll thing going on and the manual labor at these ranches. But I wonder what his sermons were like, if you really want to call them that, mm-hmm. you know, his little talks with the family. What would he say to them to make them move to killing people? How does it go from let's share some acid, let's listen to some music, let's get high and fuck to let's go to these people's houses and rob and kill them? Mm. And make it look like the Black Panthers did it. Yeah, and there's a jump there. There's got, there is a jump there. And that's what I think is like hard to understand especially for me is where did that crossover happen? That's the biggest question for me is where did that crossover happen? And how he and how was he able to achieve that? It was very fast too. It was only in the course of what two years or something like that. Slick Frank Sanders, tell us your final thoughts on the Manson family. Absolutely kooky absolutely gruesome personally i don't think the mk ultra tie is there i mean it it could be but like you said there's not really any foundation to stand on besides the fact that they were eating acid and that this guy was just a master manipulator looking at it from my point of view i think he had all of the right skills at the right time to create this disastrous situation. He was a violent person in nature since he was a child. He had experimented with the pimping where older pimps had literally taught him how to break down the psyche of women, which is why at the very beginning of the the cult-like family, it was mostly women. He was able to easily break these women's psyches and easily able to convince them, hey, come stay with me, even though he has nothing. Yeah, just looking into the murders, it was... It was absolutely gruesome. I don't really know how he got most of these people to carry out these crimes for him. Uh, I think a large part of it is LSD. I think the LSD plays a much bigger role in all of this than a lot of people think. I think LSD can be a very, very, very dangerous drug if misused or abused. And I think it can do really nasty shit to your brain if, you know, you've got the wrong person chanting in your face while you're under the influence. This is a gruesome one, Hushlings. Gruesome. The photos are fucking crazy, too. Have you seen the the crime scene photos? Yeah, I don't even want to look. Yeah. Was there anything that we missed in this debriefing anything that we should have touched on do you have any information when it comes to the manson family and their leader chuck did we misunderstand what our cia handler was trying to tell us reach out to us you can always find us at our email as always contact at hushhushsociety.com continue to get spooky with us throughout this hushtober on monday october 17th, where we release our 59th debriefing, where we'll get into the history, the lore, and the possibility of the existence of pale, blood-suckling, cape-wearing, fang-tearing vampires. I'm very excited about this one, boys, so 
Can't wait to take a bite out of it. Oh, that was gross. We're going to have another exclusive debriefing available on our Patreon. That'll be up Thursday, October 20th. We'll be covering Sleepy Hollow. Again, real spooky for Hushtober. Again, only on Patreon. Be sure to keep a lookout. Also, tune in for our 60th debriefing and our live show on Facebook. Monday, October 17th, join our Facebook group and you will see us live. We'll tackle the Mattress Firm Conspiracy and explore a new secret society, Cicada 3301. That's 7 p.m. as always, Eastern Standard Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, Monday, October 17th. Thank you again for attending another debriefing of the Hosh Hosh Society Conspiracy Hour. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And I'm Suck Frank Sanders. Until our next debriefing, remember, the best kept secrets are hidden in plain sight. <laughs>